You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Today on the Grace Saves All podcast, I'm happy to welcome Tim Stewart and Craig Stevens from Impact Nations. And this is a missionary organization. And one of the persons that went on a mission trip with them reached out to me through email and said that I should talk to them. And uh, and I'd already been kind of aware of what they were doing because I follow the work of Brad Jerzak and I saw Brad's interview with uh, or listened in to uh, Brad's interview with Impact Nation. So it's nice to finally get to meet you guys, Tim and Craig. I guess uh, it was sort of destined that our our paths would cross and we would eventually talk to each other. Well, thanks so much for having us, David. We've been looking forward to this chat. Yeah, I feel like it's a huge privilege to connect in and to to have some conversation about a much more beautiful gospel and the context, of course, that that people come on missions with Impact Nations uh, and go share that beautiful gospel around the world. It seems like, yeah, of course, we were going to bump into each other. It seems like your friends are our friends. So it's great. Indeed. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's maybe start a little bit by uh, Tim and Craig, if you could just give uh, just a little bit, kind of a snapshot of your background, and then we'll get to what Impact Nations is uh, is doing and, and what your journey has been in, in trying to communicate a more beautiful gospel. So Tim, why don't you start? Sure. Uh, yeah. Naturally, my background as the CEO of a uh, faith-based, uh, Christ-centered nonprofit, uh, my background is all about uh, tires. Uh, like every CEO of a nonprofit, I uh, I started my career uh, as a leader in the tire industry. Um, but actually, before that, I was uh, my wife and I served as missionaries in the Philippines for three and a half years as well. So um, I suppose you could uh, trace. Uh, my origins back to there. We were serving uh, in Davao City in the Philippines back uh, from 2007 through the end of 2010 uh, and uh, got to see God do lots of amazing things in the lives of the poor. Um, my job there really was focused on getting clean water to the poor. Uh, and my wife was working with women uh, in the slums who were um, having babies. My wife is a midwife, so she was helping helping poor women uh, give birth to babies safely uh, and help them find nutrition and things like that. So that's, uh, I guess that's my origin story. Okay, Greg, what's your origin story? Well, I'm uh, born into the movement of the Salvation Army. My mum and dad are Salvation Army officers or ministers in full time. And uh, that was the context of a fairly conservative evangelical paradigm of, of upbringing. And, uh, and so kind of from a very, well, from my birth, I'd been very familiar with the poor and the marginalised being a part of our family, part of our household and part of our mission focus. Uh, so that was kind of fairly normal for me. Um, and uh, and being missional, I guess, was part and parcel of the of the upbringing of that context. Um, I did um, have what I would call a um, a familiar gospel that wasn't terribly beautiful, and it wasn't that long before in my early adult life I sort of put that to bed and put my faith story to bed as well, and kind of got on with living, you know, outside of a Christian walk. And, uh, and then years later came back into an encounter with the Holy Spirit 
Um, and that lit me up for the Ministry of Evangelism. And then we probably spent the next 15, 20 years exploring what was a much more beautiful gospel. In fact, what 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 is genuinely good news? Because it seemed like the the story of the gospel that I had been given, and trust me, I've explored it everywhere. Um, it seemed like it was uh, it was only sometimes good news, and more often than not, it wasn't good news if you interrogated the message that we had. And and I I was probably encouraged with a mate to really interrogate the gospel. And uh, and in the process, the Salvation Army had appointed me as a um, as a leader in the context of evangelism, and so I functioned in Australia as the evangelist for um, the Salvation Army as a as a denomination, and was training and equipping people in the ministry of the gospel, and conflicted with a gospel that I couldn't say was good news, and then something that was starting to emerge, which was something more beautiful, something more familiar to the early church of a beautiful gospel. And so, you know, I served the Salvation Army. I served Jesus in the context of the Salvation Army in Australia and am on the board of Impact Nations and have the privilege of taking teams around the world to share this beautiful gospel in villages, in remote locations uh, across the earth. That's my story. Okay. Well, so it seems like what we have here are two people that are sort of born into missional missional settings in life and then are navigating that and you found out that there was something about your gospel that wasn't as beautiful as it needed to be and so then over time you've worked to discover a more beautiful gospel so maybe this is a good time to talk about that journey and how it is that you are trying to articulate that these days yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, first off, just just to speak about our context, just to kind of set the stage, so to speak, Impact Nations, um, we are working all over the world with leaders in the developing world to demonstrate and preach this good news. Uh, we believe that the gospel is big enough, it is powerful enough to transform every part of life. And, and it's been our experience that very often, at least from a, I'm going to say a Western perspective, sometimes I say North American, but I leave out my, my poor friends in Australia. So I'm going to say from a Western perspective, sometimes the gospel <laughs> has, has gotten smaller and smaller to the point where it's, uh, hey, pray this prayer, get your ticket to heaven. Uh, and then, hey, now you've got somebody to pray to when you need some help with, with something, you know, when your finances get tough or whatever. Whereas the gospel as we see it, that Jesus presented is much bigger, much better news. It's really about transformation. It's about the, the life of heaven coming and penetrating the here and now. It's about everything changing here in our current context because of the reality of heaven, that because of the, the, the gap that Jesus bridged when he came and defeated sin and death. Um, and so what we believe is for the poor in the developing world, what that means is that everything can change. Now, what we're not preaching is a, a get rich quick scheme. We're not preaching a prosperity gospel or anything like that. But what we're saying is there is freedom from the oppression that you are suffering from. Uh, there is um, there is hope for you. There is hope that, that you will re, uh, regain dignity, that you were created for dignity. You were created in the, in the image of God. And we're here to tell you the good news that, hey, you can actually live in the reality of that dignity that you were created for. Uh, and so we 
we declare this gospel absolutely everywhere we go, but we also demonstrate it. If it's, we always say, if it's good news, it's got to be good news for the poor. Otherwise, it's not good news at all. And so we go to some of the poorest, most marginalized, uh, vulnerable communities in the developing world to declare this gospel and demonstrate it. And we demonstrate it through um, meeting their immediate needs through clean water or medicine or, or, or food, um, but also by bringing long-term transformational work through skills and business development programs where we're rescuing people from, from dangerous situations, whether that's uh, slavery, um, uh, trafficking, homelessness, gang violence, what have you, uh, and bringing them into safety and then getting them set up with skills uh, and coaching and mentorship and, and capital that they're going to need to become self-sustained long-term. That's the holistic gospel that we bring. And Christ is always at the center of that. It's never, um, we, we, tr we try very hard not to get too far into the, you know, just social justice, but forget about the one who actually brings ultimate justice, which is Christ. And so we, we work to bring that balance uh, everywhere we go. And we work in nations such as India, Nepal, uh, Pakistan, uh, Malawi, Uganda, and several others. The Philippines, we were there earlier. Craig and I were, were there together earlier this year declaring this gospel and seeing that it was being demonstrated to, to those who are in desperate need of good news, let's be honest. Okay, Craig, why don't you take a shot at uh, saying how, how you see that journey and how you are, are expressing this more beautiful gospel? Yeah, thank you. I um I think one of the the the, the reductions in the gospel and and our, our friend our mutual friend Brad Jerzak had sort of articulated one day saying you know the gospel that we more commonly understand in the church these days would be utterly unrecognizable to the early church fathers and when it, when he said that it was a very very sobering moment for me as somebody who's been tracking in this ministry for thirty years you know like I literally been engaged in the ministry of evangelism for that long and I, I've explored you know every different way I've looked at you know the evangelism explosion courses and the Christian contagious Christianity courses and the alpha courses and the four spiritual laws and the two ways to live I mean there's a gazillion ways that we packaged up what we thought was the gospel and I stumbled across in uh, my iPad reading of the the scriptures um, in uh, mark 1. Uh, the the little subheading says in the gospel the good news according to Jesus and I thought oh, I've really got to pay attention here because I <laughs> I've for, for many years have been an expert at knowing the good news according to everyone else you know what is the good right. news according to Jesus and it says this um, in Mark one fifteen the kingdom of God has now come uh, repent and believe. The kingdom of God has now come, repent and believe. And, of course, anyone who's walking with Jesus will know that his entire message was an announcement and a demonstration of the kingdom. Tim, you, you've you kind of highlighted, you know, that that's such a, a critical thing for us in Impact Nations is the announcement and the declaration of the kingdom. And so I guess in in more recent years, the, the fluency around kingdom language has started to emerge in the body of Christ. I don't mm -hmm. think that's coincidental. I think that's that's part of the the you know the the drawing back of the spirit to the to the early gospel to understanding Christ's message and ministry. And so we're when you know like one other translation, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's like you know 
it's palpable, reach out, grab hold of this thing, you know, and forceful men and women lay hold of it. You know, it's this this idea and uh, of, of the kingdom of God now come. Jesus paints it in so many different ways as like a, a dad who had two sons or like a widow who's lost a coin or like a treasure that's buried in a field or like yeast in a, a batch of dough. Like Jesus paints so many ways the idea of the kingdom. But when you interrogate it, the kingdom of God is always, always good news. Um, No matter which way you look at it and no matter to whom you're presenting the announcement of the kingdom, it's always good. In the West, um, and I presume your context similar to ours, there was a pandemic that happened. Um, You probably noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) probably coupled up with the pandemic more than anything was the narrative of fear and anxiety. Uh, You know, those two bullies kind of came to the fore and there weren't many households in our nation uh, that were not subject to fear and anxiety. Um, Now, very few people in our nation were kind of showing up to the church saying, please tell us some good news, please help us, right? Um, the, you know, the, the queues out the front of the churches weren't there pre-pandemic and they, they certainly, you know, didn't seem to explode post-pandemic um, because our, our gospel narrative had been narrow. If our, if, our, if our message had been parallel with Jesus, if our gospel had been very clearly, hey, there is a kingdom of, of, um, of absolute unconditional love that drives out every fear you're ever going to experience and if our if our messaging had been, you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and and at no point do you need to be subject to a story of anxiety in your life anymore. I mean, those narratives alone, those dimensions of the kingdom and the King, those dimensions alone would have seen widespread revival. I suspect in terms of people running into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is that we have all been wired for the kingdom. Um, My spiritual dad, Papa Steve, who's the founder of Impact Nations, he says, nobody was made for meetings. Everyone was made for the kingdom. And and yet all the churches offered for so long are meetings. But, uh, you know, when we get on the front foot with the announcement of the kingdom, when we're declaring the king and his kingdom, and I'd make this point too, there's, there's no disparity between the king and his kingdom. They're one and the same. You know, the kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And the kingdom is a kingdom of unconditional, unending love. And and Christ is, well, God is love and Christ is God. And so, you know, every dimension of the kingdom is a dimension of the king. And, uh, and they're, you know, the same in that, in that regard. So we've been just looking at, at just understanding the narrative of a local village or the, of the narrative of a local family or the narrative of a, a, a local community and, uh, and then announcing a far better um, gospel, which is always good news. The kingdom, I just labour that point, the kingdom is always good news. It doesn't matter if you're, uh, it, it doesn't matter any any way you look at it, rich, poor, marginalised, ostracised, successful, kingdom is always good news. And so then we invite people to repent and believe, to, to you know, open their hearts, if you like, to an awakening of the presence of the king within them. I got plenty more to say on that, but how's that for witness? <laughs> okay, well, it kind of just if I could interject a couple of things that makes me think of, um, I I kind of had a little bit of a sim- similar journey in in my uh, 
journey in ministry, I was a minister in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. It's a small denomination. I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't heard of it. But the idea was that we would all accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we would follow him the best that we could. And so uh, my job, one of my job uh, was to say, well, what, what, what would that be like if we, if we were trying to follow Jesus? And so that got me fairly quickly into saying, well, it would mean uh, repenting and, or, or thinking higher and receiving this kingdom that he said was really good news. And so when I studied the kingdom of God, I found out that, that, that Greek word is basileia and that it, you can translate it with the English word reign. And so it's this reigning, it's this reigning power of God that is now present and available. When I was in seminary, one of the professors said it was sort of similar to uh, when when electricity became available in rural America, and people would go out and say, "There's this new power that is available for you. Let us teach you how you can plug into it and what it can do for you." And so. The kingdom isn't just a, a place on the ground somewhere. It's it's the power, it's the reigning power of God that is now available to us. And when you receive it, you're not just receiving someone or something, you're receiving uh, some power that you can actually use in your life uh, to overcome things. So it's an actual resource that you can receive into your life. Go ahead, uh, Craig. I think you wanted to say something. Yeah, I, I got to just continue on that thought because, you know, Jesus was asked, you know, uh, whereabouts is this kingdom going to come from? You know, like, you know, we're expecting, you know, the, the knights in shining armor to come charging in, advancing the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about. And, and he's questioned about it. And he says to the person asking, you know, if, if you hear someone said the kingdom of God is over there or the kingdom of God is over here, he said to them very clearly, pay no attention to them. And then he says, because I tell you the truth, the kingdom of God is within you, right? Very, very sobering thought. The kingdom of God is within you. And I've just thought this thing through and I thought, if Jesus is talking to the apostle John, right, John the beloved, if if Jesus is saying, John, I tell you the truth, the kingdom of God is within you. Like this guy knew intimacy with the father, intimacy with the son, intimacy, the love story. I mean, the gospel, you know, of love, John, like, of course, the kingdom of God is within John. Or if he was talking to Peter and I'm thinking, you know, bold, brash Peter, who's there, you know, tearing ahead with, with kingdom stuff. Yeah, of course the kingdom of God is within Peter. But if you read the verse before, it says this, and a Pharisee came to test him, saying, Teacher, tell us where will this kingdom come from? It was a trap and it was a setup, and it was a setup by the very guys who wanted Jesus dead. In fact, it was a setup by the guys who were insistent that Jesus would be killed because he was a fraud, the very people who were not going to bow their knee to him, of that group of the Pharisees, Jesus says to them, the kingdom of God is within you. And and so this ought to be scandalous to us, right? The people who are not going to bow their knee, they're not going to confess Jesus is Lord, and, and they certainly wanted him, they wanted the planet rid of him, to those people, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is within you. 
And so if the kingdom of God is within them, who is the kingdom of God not within? You, you with me? The, the, the idea that I have been made in my creator's image, the imago Dei, the, the idea mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, of being carefully and wonderfully formed in my mother's womb intentionally by a creator, the idea of not original sin but of original righteousness, you know, the idea mm-hmm. of, um, you know, uh, Christ is all and is in all, Colossians says it like that, Um the idea of scriptures talking about and he has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Um, eternity, eternal realms, the kingdom, the kingdom is the king. of He's placed himself within us, whether we bow the knee or not, whether we confess him as Lord or not. And this is the scandalous grace and the scandalous glory, I think, that is a much more beautiful gospel. And so Tim and I have discovered in Impact Nations today Today we preach to awaken hearts to the already present Christ within, the already present kingdom within. Today we just preach and announce good news and say to to those who who are unaware of Christ, we just say, come awake, wake up. Wake up, O sleeper, the scriptures say. Wake up to the presence of Christ. I was, as you were were, uh, talking about that, I was reminded of a, there's a passage in, it's Acts 8.12, and it talks about Philip as he was going about preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Hmm. And so there you have right there in the book of Acts, um, a, a kind of an example of, of, of what you're saying. So, so somebody might say, well, wait a second. I, I thought we were only supposed to talk about Jesus. Why are we talking about the kingdom of God? Well, here you have in the book of Acts that they're going around and they're doing exactly what you're saying. They're preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Yeah, and I'd love to just spend a couple minutes in in Acts eight if we can, because I mean this is one of my favorite stories of <clears throat> of evangelism, really. Because what you see with Philip later in that chapter when he he finds himself, by the way, Philip, uh, incredibly, uh, I don't know, brave, uh, selfless. He's got a, a happening ministry where he's announcing the kingdom of God. People are coming like crazy. They're seeing the church explode, and then he is sent out to the desert because. I don't like I, that's got to be an assignment that he questions, right? Like, are you kidding, God? Like, I'm things are happening here at the <laughs> church. Like, we are seeing new believers. This is crazy, and yet God says, "No, I, I need you to go." Now we know we've we've read the end of the story, and we know that as as Jesus promises at the at the beginning of Acts one eight that they are going to go to the ends of the earth, and this is the beginning of that, right? So we he's things are happening in Samaria, but now he's going to get to the ends of the earth, and God's going to do it in a really creative way. But he finds himself in this crazy situation in the desert with the eunuch who is reading from Isaiah, right? And he's about, of course, God just sets it up. He's about to read this passage about about the Messiah and stuff. He's getting into the suffering servant text. But but right after that is also all the, like, he is just reading texts about exclusion. It's it's about eunuchs, though, you know, are not allowed in the temple. We know, he tells him, I've just come back from Jerusalem. I went to the temple. I went to worship. And we know, based on the on the the law, he wasn't allowed in. He wasn't allowed into the inner courts. He wasn't allowed to actually go have a true uh, encounter, as far as the Jews were concerned, a true encounter with the living God. He was excluded because uh, of his flaws, so to speak. 
And here, now he's about to get this incredible news that, are you kidding? Everyone's invited. Nobody's excluded. You too are included. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. Everyone's invited. There is no in and out. It's, you, you've already been invited. There's a party happening. You just didn't know it. Like, come on in. It's happening. And of course, his response to that is immediately like, well, what's stopping me from getting baptized? Like the response to the truly good news is going to be, I want in. I want to, I want to, uh, I want to enter into this full abundant life that that Jesus has already purchased for me and is offering right now. Uh, and so, of course, they and then imagine that in the desert they find some water and he gets baptized. And then, of course, my favorite bit of all is suddenly Philip gets whisked away uh, from the desert. And then the Ethiopian goes on to bring that good news to Northern Africa. After that, if I could just uh, break in right here. When you're talking about this, I, re- I think I remember in seminary, the, the, one of the earliest proclamations of the gospel was the idea of, they called it Christus Victor, was the mm-hmm. idea that there had been a tremendous, um, the good news was the announcement of a tremendous victory that had been accomplished over the powers of sin and death. And uh, so then the, the liberation of humanity from the power of sin and death, which had happened in, in Jesus Christ. And then uh, in the ancient world, uh, euangelion was a good, you know, was a good message and or good news. And it so it, it would be connected with um, like a, a announcement that the wind that somebody had come back to announce that there had been a victory in a battle of some kind. Or a euangelion would be a, a good news that there was a new emperor that was reigning. So it was about like a new a euangelion was good news about like a, a new, there's a new reign. There's something, something good and new that is about that I have to tell you. And um, I think that that has a lot of resonance with what, what you guys are talking about. Yeah. And I think we have to ask ourselves, is it good news? Like I say, that, that Ethiopian went all that way to experience something and then was told, actually, you're not able to have that full experience. The good news should always be you're included, you're invited. Uh, well, now we're getting to we start seeing exclusion, right? Uh, dad uh, is, uh, sorry, my dad and Craig's Papa Steve are one and the same person, by the way, just to, <laughs> for clarity for our listeners. But, um, but dad often says, uh, religion is always exclusive. Gospel is always inclusive. And I think that's just a great lit- litmus test in any moment when we find ourselves preaching or sharing. Is this exclusive or is this inclusive? Because uh, this is, this uh, we is should where, be able to tell pretty quick. This is where I'm feeling uh, Brad Jersak. Uh, uh, because a lot of what he wants to talk about is inclusion, that we are, that we are included. And I'm hearing that in your, in your message, Craig, that, that you're announcing to people that the kingdom of God is already, it's, that you're in this thing and help, let us help you wake up to this thing. While, while we were dead in our sin and abject rebellion, he saved us, right? So, so no one got asked, no, one was, no one's permission was sought, Jesus didn't go running around just checking with anyone, would it be okay if I rescued you while we were bringing nothing dead, the Scriptures say. There's there's no more incapacity than dead, right? Uh, he mm-hmm. saved us. He, he, and, so, and then he went and put himself inside us. He's placed eternity within us. He's placed his kingdom within us. He's not sought our permission to do so. Incidentally, 
your listeners, David, I am sure, will know pre-Christians who who demonstrate, you know, a kindness, a generosity that gener- that demonstrate a, an extravagant love of neighbour. You know, we find it in cultures all around the world, uh, Muslim cultures, even Hindi cultures and other cultures as well, that religious ideas, that we find that that the kingdom of God is evident within them and sometimes, sometimes more evident within them than those who might sit in our pews on a Sunday morning in the evangelical church. Um, it, it, it's 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 um, undeniable that the kingdom of God is within. It's within others. It's within, you know, all of humankind, and He's placed Himself, you know, very intentionally there. So, obviously, there are dark things in the world, and Tim, you could probably talk to that better than any because you do the relationship management with our partners around the world. And I mean, we were in Malawi just recently, and the church is mobilised. To, to intercept um, human trafficking victims. Hey, Tim, like yeah. that was one. Yeah, of absolutely. We just we just got them a whole bunch of. We got them ten telephone. I don't know if you know that, Craig, but we just got them ten cell phones, one for each team, so that they can they can mobilize that much faster and call in, uh, you know, the authorities to aid them as they are actively rescuing people who are in the process of being trafficked across the border. And, and, wow. and, and so darkness is a very real thing, you know, and, 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 and I love, David, you're, you're pointing to the fact that this Christus Victor, that Christ has defeated sin and death, so why are we still dealing with darkness? And it's like, well, Dubbo's like you and me and our listeners, we keep giving permission for the enemy to do stuff. But I, I want to touch on this real quick, Craig, because it's what's fascinating to me, just listening to you, you, you mentioned, you know, what many of us know pre-Christians who have compassion, who operate out of kindness and, and a soft heart and things like that. What's so funny to me, though, is that so often, traditionally over the last, I don't know, at least 50 years, probably way longer than that, many evangelism uh, attempts start with the, you know, well, yeah, but you're a piece of garbage. Like when God looks at you, it's the classic question. Well, I'm a good person. Well, have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah. All right. Well, then you're trash. Right. And that's the classic. My Here's a good one. My son, uh, somebody handed him in jest, I, I hope, somebody handed him a, a tract that was like a, a I don't know, it, it was a million dollar bill or something like that. And then it was preaching the gospel on the backside of it, right? And my son, he's he's uh, 13, he's, Toby, he picks this up and he looks at it and he immediately blurts out, this is heresy. And I was like, what is it? And I grabbed it from him and I was uh, a very proud papa moment, right? Uh, it was heresy because it like second sentence, you know, God looks at you and sees darkness. He sees you as a wretched, you know, yada, 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 basically just a terrible SOB sort of a thing. And frankly, that it's a it's not true, and b it makes people feel like garbage, and c it immediately actually has their backup saying, "Well, hold up, actually, I thought I was doing fairly well in life, and now you're telling me I'm trash." Uh, that's not good news at all. Why on earth are we starting with that rather than celebrating, as Craig has pointed out, the kingdom is within you, and this kindness, this compassion that you operate automatically, that's coming from somewhere. That's actually because you were made in the image of the most compassionate ever. The he who compassion on all that he has made that's the king inside of you operating and we want to awaken your heart to the full experience of his compassion of his goodness of his never-ending love i am so excited to hear that tim 
I had that exact um, dollar bill note come home, uh, you know, to one of my kids here in Australia. So it must be doing the circuit around the world, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and this thing, and, and my daughter, Elisha, she sees it and she goes, that's not good news. She didn't call it out as heresy, and it's true to call it out as heresy, but yeah. she called it out as not being the gospel and not being good news. And so high five, proud papa moment for you. But that Toby, he was, see, see your son Toby's been shaped on the mission field to see good news. Like there he was yep. preaching the gospel and healing the sick even in the Philippines this year. And, and you know, so like he's already got the radar <laughs> in place. For the, this is the, what's the litmus test? You know, is this good news? Is this inclusive? No, it's not. Well, it's not good yeah. news. I love it. Yep. Okay, let me uh, let me then... I don't know. I don't want to say trouble the waters a little bit, but to oh, bring it me, on. Okay. Well, let me just tell you here, here from my point of view, here's, here is the situation that I'm, that I'm working with. Uh, for a lot of people, there's a lot to like about Jesus, the fullness of life now, forgiveness of sin, hope for life beyond the grave. The kingdom is now present, but there's this hurdle that they can't get across and it has to do with hell. And the question is this, if the God of Christianity is supposed to be all good, all knowing, and all-powerful, then why did he make a creation where he knew in advance that he was going to be tormenting the vast majority of us forever because we failed a spiritual test of some kind that he knew in advance we would fail? For these people, the free will defense doesn't work because what is free will but a curse? If God knows with certainty, we will just use it to disqualify ourselves in some eternally disastrous way. And a lot of these people are in deconstruction, and they don't know if they can any longer remain Christian because of this. Some of these people are considering Christianity, but they are repelled by what they think is its non-negotiable hell doctrine. Uh, so in my world, practically, the good news that I have to share is this. In order to be a Christian, you don't have to believe God in foreknowledge has made a creation where God knew in advance that some, many, or most people will inevitably end up annihilated or tormented consciously in hell forever. As a matter of fact, if it's important to you, you can be a Christian and legitimately believe that God will save everyone ultimately. And for some people, this is really good news. And um, I've just, when, when I let people know that, um, that the good news is, is much better uh, than maybe you thought, and that, as a matter of fact, you can be a Christian and believe that if it's important to you that God is in the business of saving every last person. Now, you don't have to believe that to be a Christian. Not all Christians come to that conclusion. But if it's important to you, if that's somehow important to, for you to believe that God's goodness is somehow doesn't work out unless God finally saves everyone, and, and you're thinking uh, that because you believe this way, you can't be a Christian, well, let me, there is room for you within the Christian faith. And just letting people know that there is that option uh, opens a lane or a door for them that they didn't know existed. And then they are shocked and amazed to find out that there were numbers of early Christians who had some of these same thoughts and ideas. And then the question they asked me is, well, how come I was never told about this? How come nobody ever let me know that this was even a possibility for me to believe this way? Because if I had known this was a possibility, I might not have had to leave the faith behind or or I might knowing that this is a possibility I might even be able to consider becoming a Christian. So that's 
Uh, I'll just let you guys, uh, I'd be interested to how you respond to that. Which one of you wants to go first? Uh, all right, I'll, t- I'll take a, a crack at it. First off, I think, uh, oh, so many thoughts, David. L- let me actually start at the very end. You know, we can grieve uh, those who have perhaps left the church behind because they thought they had to fit into this certain theological mode uh, or, um, you know, stick to that particular dogma. And because they couldn't, they left. Now, we can grieve that. And, and in one sense, we should. And I don't want to cheapen the the sadness of that. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But at the same time, I think we also need to recognize that maybe that wasn't the right place for them. Like, they, they're I, we need to help point them into a different place, but uh, I, why on earth would you continue to stay in an environment that is um, uninviting, right? Like that you can't bring, let's, you know, if you can't bring your friends and family because you're actually <laughs> ashamed of that gospel, right? We don't, we should never be ashamed of the gospel, but if you're ashamed of the gospel that's being presented in your house in in your uh, current community, your current context, then maybe that's not the place for you anyway. So let's, I'm just going to say that flat out. Um, but also, I think we need to walk with compassion uh, with those who are going through that, who are struggling with that. Um, it's, I, I really struggle personally, and Craig and I, have, we're close friends and we talk lots, and I've, I've confessed this to him. Like, I, I can tend to be... Um, ironically dogmatic in my liberalism, I suppose, but, uh, like I can get kind of wound up and get real ticked off with bad gospel presentations or, or things like that and actually alienate people rather than just sitting with them in the grief that is deconstruction rather than just saying, man, I'm, I'm so sorry that that's, that that's the experience you've had. Just tell me more, like, let me listen and operate in compassion with them in that. Um, because there is something beautiful on the other side of it. And, you know, we know that, uh, we know that there has to be something beautiful on the other side of that because we have a beautiful creator who's inviting us into the community of the Trinity, which is ultimate beauty. Uh, and he's inviting each and every one of us into that. Um, so I think sometimes we've got to just be patient to sit with people and grieve with them over the messaging that they may have received and may have believed for a long time. Uh, and then, and then make them aware that, Hey, there's, there's other community where you can come and your questions are okay. And by the way, I should also say any, any community that claims to have all the answers should immediately be suspect, right? Like, <laughs> uh, cause that's just, total hogwash. And I think um, one of the things, I don't know who, who I heard say this, it might have been BZ, Brian Zond, I'm not sure. But I recently heard somebody say like, hey, I want to make sure that the person five years from now, that I would think that that person's a heretic. Like, I want my faith to continue to grow my understanding of the the vastness, uh, the beauty, uh, uh, intensity of the love of Jesus continues to grow. My revelation continues to open up to the point that, you know, five years from now, it's so much further than where I'm at right now. Uh, and also that means we, if that's the case, we need to be patient enough with the people who are 
further behind on that journey and wait and allow them to catch up. And I can tell you the first time we've talked about Bradley Jerzak several times, but the first time I picked up his book, um, A More Christ-Like God, and I, this was one of my endorsements for his book one time at a conference that made many people laugh. But I said, I first picked up this book and I did not finish it. I threw it down in rage. I was so mad because it was challenging everything I, I thought I knew to be true about the gospel. Uh, and it took me several years before I picked it up again. And that's okay, actually. Like, that's like I have to have compassion on that younger version of myself who was so stuck in his ways that he couldn't hear it in the moment. And then we have to trust that the Holy Spirit is actually doing a work and is going to bring us along. And we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is working in our friends and family who are upset with us for asking these questions right now and just hold it loosely and be, it's okay. The Holy Spirit will catch up with you one day. And, and by the way, even saying that sounds so arrogant, right? So even there, we need to walk in humility and say, hey, I don't know. I just know that these are some questions I'm asking. I'm going to the scriptures and to some other, some other thinkers and even going back to the ancient thinkers, right? To the church fathers to see what did they have to say about Jesus' teaching? What did they have to say about the apostles' teaching? And, and just hold it very loosely. Uh, but everything must be done in charity. Tim, I, I want to okay. just jump in there because... You know, you're you're the CEO of Impact Nations and and very much having a lot of influence, particularly in the podcast with Impact Nations, with the likes of, of Brad and so on, some of the friends and 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 also Papa Steve and his teaching. And so you're in that space. And I think you just, you know, given the listening audience today, David, you, your audience, uh, some real wisdom there, as in we've got to hold these conversations very lightly. And, and in charity or in, in abounding in love towards one another, I think the, the, the church does not need another reason to divide. You know, we don't, we don't need another reason to come apart and say, oh, I can't walk with you now. And so these conversations, whilst sometimes uh, are, are chalk and cheese, the different, um, you know, theological positions that are being proposed or wrestled through, if they can't be wrestled through in love, then take a step back. I think that's wonderful wisdom, uh, Tim, that you've, you've you've given us to consider there. Um, and I think, yeah, um, the, the 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 conversation today. I read um, Brad's book, um, A More Christ-like Word. Your dad sent it to me, and uh, it was like I had this read, and similar to you, Tim, I was I was imploding inside. I was. I was in tears of joy and weeping with wailing of devastation and the, the idea of why didn't someone tell me this, you know, like how come <laughs> I had no idea our gospel, our good news, the scriptures, everything was better than I ever imagined. Why didn't someone tell me this? And I, I was angry and I was, you know, troubled and and then I was on a mission to make sure everyone else got a better story than me. <laughs> Uh, but in the process, I, I, I came to this sense of actually I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to lead me in all truth and righteousness. I, um, mm. Brad is a voice that helps with that, but I'm not trusting Brad to lead me there. I'm actually trusting the Spirit of God to lead me in all truth and righteousness. And maybe, David, the listening audience today can find a confidence in that. You know, we, we are his sheep. We do hear his voice and we can be confident in the spirit of God leading us in these conversations and in these wrestles. Well, let me, uh, and I let think, me, sorry, oh, David, ahead. just real quick to piggyback on that. I, I think patience is so key because 
in all honesty, like we we need to we need to actually be genuine about what we're saying in terms of trusting the Holy Spirit's guidance, um, because frankly, like I think it's okay to say, hey, you know what? I trust the Holy Spirit in me just as much as I trust the Holy Spirit in you. So rather than an arrogant like, uh, you know, the the Spirit will speak to you eventually, and you'll figure it out. But rather, hey, you know what? If if I'm being misled, I trust that the Lord's going to get me back on track, and that's okay. Uh, and I trust that God is big enough to you know cover me in in my uh, wayward thinking for a few years or whatever too. Well, let me, uh, okay. I, I was, I was thinking about, uh, how I would present the gospel. And, um, and, uh, so here's a, here's a, here's, here's a summary of it. And, uh, maybe we can talk about it. So in Christ, there is fullness of life outside of Christ. There is the destruction of sin. Christians have all agreed that sin leads to destruction both now and in eternity but Christians have disagreed about what the ultimate end of that destruction will be. Opinions have ranged from eternal conscious torment to eventual annihilation to an ultimate restoration in which all will be finally purified and redeemed. It is possible to be a Christian and to believe God, God ultimately will save all, but no matter what opinion Christians have about ultimate judgment, we all agree that the best thing that we can do now is put our faith in Jesus and follow him and begin to experience his fullness of life. Uh, so what I was trying to do there is to say, you know, on the one hand, there is fullness of life. And on the other hand, there is the destruction that sin leads to. And that's both of those are real. And now then how uh, uh, if you so you could talk about fullness of life and you can also talk about the destruction that sin leads to, because we all know about this. So then the ultimate question is, well, how far does that destruction go and how far is the saving reach of God in Christ? And then you can say, well, honestly, Christians have had a long debate about this. There've been different opinions that they've had. And so you're, and you, you could be free to have your own opinion about this. But the thing that we all agree on is that the best thing that we can do right now is to receive him and follow him in that fullness of life that he offers now. The, the thing that I like about that presentation, David, uh, one of the things I like about that is you're talking about the here and now. See, sometimes when we, a gospel presentation that actually fixes itself only on the age to come, not on the age to come that is available now, but only on the age to come. So, hey, you've got two choices. Uh, when you cack, when you get hit by a bus or whatever, uh, you're going to end up in one place or the other. Which place do you want to be in? That's, uh, frankly, that's very often how a gospel presentation ends, right? Um, what, what you're talking about is experience experiencing the reality of heaven, experiencing the abundant life that Christ came to purchase for us, experiencing it now. And you can actually choose to, like many people are experiencing hell in one sense or another in the here and now. You can choose to experience abundant life. And very often, one of the things that dad has taught Craig and I about presenting the gospel is uh, coming at it from uh, from the place of of that scripture in John where Jesus says, Hey, like the, the thief came to steal, kill and destroy, right? It's John 10, 10, but I came that you might have life and have it to the full. The, the reality is when you start talking about people's current experience of life, right? This, the thief came to steal, kill and destroy. I don't care where you are in the world, whether you are, you know, living in a penthouse in New York or you're living in a garbage dump in Manila, <clears throat> you are, likely to be experiencing the attacks of the enemy. You are experience, You can res resonate with the message, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. And everywhere we say that, people are like, yes, I am experiencing that right now in my life. 
but Jesus came, Christ came that you might have life and have it to the full. And that's the gospel you're preaching right there, David. That life, that abundant life is available right now. And you can enter into it regardless of what your circumstances are. And by the way, the message that Impact Nations preaches is Jesus cares deeply about your current circumstances. And we're going to we're gonna partner with Jesus to bring relief to your current circumstances. Uh, but also... You can experience abundant life regardless of those those circumstances, uh, and that's the message we preach. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, David. Yeah, Sorry, I, Craig, go ahead. I cut you off. Well, All right, Craig, you, what did you, you think about that? Yeah, because you can't talk about abundant life and not understand the message of John 10.10. 10. Uh, I was preaching that in a school here on the central coast of New South Wales in Australia last week, actually, John 10.10. 10. And uh, what's intriguing is that, and maybe your listeners can relate, is that um, the, the, the modus operandum of the enemy, steal, kill, and destroy, sometimes those, that, that mode of operation is allocated or attributed to God. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of humanity walking around going, oh, God killed my, my son. God, God, you know, you know, create, organized for my, my car to be stolen or my, my house to burn down or God did this or God did, and attributing what Jesus was very clear as attributing to the enemy and the work of darkness, uh, they often will attribute it to God. And I, I, I kind of, I want to be understanding of that because, you know, when we've said, well, God is, God is someone who is happy to, he's happy to kill every man, woman, boy, girl, and livestock in a nation, you know, which is how we have sometimes understood, you know, Old Testament scriptures. And if we, if we understood, if we've, if our messaging has been in God, you know, God has this special place in eternity where you get tortured and roasted forever and ever and ever. Like if that's, you know, that's been framed in some of the messaging around Christianity because we've not understood God, because we've not understood Jesus, um, then then you kind of get why the world has had these warped, you know, attributed ideas towards God because the church mm-hmm. has done it, right? Like the church has actually had warped and twisted ideas about God. And thank God, by his spirit, he's leading us into a more beautiful gospel, but he's leading us into a more beautiful encounter of Christ. And it looks a whole lot more like the early church. And this is the wonderful thing, is that in the conversations I'm having with church leaders, you know, in the West in particular, but around the world, in those conversations, there's a real sense of, you know what? we're actually rediscovering what the early church knew. It's not like we've come up with a new brand or a new gospel or a new idea. It's actually, no, we're reorienting back because of the work of the Spirit of God. He's reorienting us back to Christ and his kingdom and the disciples and the early church. And it's like, that's true orthodoxy. I mean, you know, when they got together and said in the 300s, oh, well, we believe in God, the creator almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under a bunch of, you know, the creeds. When when the early church can, you know, can, came up with the creeds, it was like, this is it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Nicene Creed, right? The, just the Apostles' Creed with more words. But it's it's like this is it. And then, of course, the gospel is good news because it's a king who is eternally good and he's never not been good. So, you know, the message, David, that you say of abundant life, I think is a legitimate representation of the kingdom and a legitimate representation of the king. He is eternally good 
He's never not been good. He has wired everybody for abundant life, and that's circumstance inclusive, uh, exclusive. You know, for you, whatever context you're in, Tim, you articulated it brilliantly. Whatever context you're in, um, the gospel is a, an abundant life for you to walk in uh, in these mm-hmm. days. Good news. Well, I had a, I, I had an experience one time with a guy that was in uh, recovery, and he started coming to the church, and we were having a class that we called Being Human. It wasn't a, it wasn't a formal recovery class, but we were just talking about recovery spirituality and Christian spirituality and how the two things might overlap or inform each other in some way. And he came to the class for about six months and didn't say anything. And uh, suddenly, um, uh, and, and when he came, he, he, um, he, um, um, he didn't say anything, but, but I told him, I said, okay, so I know in AA you meet the God of your understanding. I said, here at this church, you're going to meet the God of your understanding as you understand him through Jesus. And, and not all people get the same picture of God as they look at Jesus, but I can, I can at least tell you that the picture I, I get of God as I look through Jesus is a completely loving uh, Heavenly Father who loves each one of us infinitely and who will never abandon us and who will finally be with us through whatever hells we go through until we are safely home. Now, that's the way I see him. Not everybody sees God the same way here, and it'll be up to you to see for you to discover how you see God here. I can't, I can't tell you that exactly. Well, anyway, so about six months passed and then suddenly he starts talking and we're all shocked because he'd never, he'd never talked before. And one of the things that he said was he was scared to come to church because when he got at the very, very bottom, he said, alcoholism took everything away from me. And I, I was at the very bottom. I was all alone. I'd never thought of myself as a spiritual person. But when I got down to the very, very bottom, I realized I was talking to somebody. And you're the first person that has ever described to me that person that I was talking to when I was at the bottom. And I didn't know if that person that I met when I was at the bottom was allowed in church or not. And so Mm -hmm. just letting him know that while maybe not everybody has the opinion that that God is the the ultimate Father who, in Jesus, has come to see us through all of our hells and deliver us finally. Uh, that maybe not everybody sees it that way, but I, as a Christian minister, see God that way, and you, as a follower of Christ, can see Him that way in your life if that works for you. You know, understand that not all Christians are going to agree agree with you on this, but know that if you do, if you do feel your Christian faith this way, that you're not alone. There are people in the early centuries of the church that had all these same kinds of feelings, and there's many modern Christians who are having a lot of these same kinds of feelings today. And that just made this guy feel so good that to know that that this person that he met at the very bottom could maybe be the Heavenly Father that Jesus revealed, and that that might actually be a possibility for him. That's beautiful. And by the way, sorry, just a tangentially in that story just near the end there, you you talked about like I w- I was afraid that that person would not be allowed in church. And so, what's sad, but worth noting, is that the default position or the default assumption often is that church is exclusive, and I'm not welcome there. Uh, and so, that, uh, Craig has done a beautiful job 
um, developing community in his home because for some people they don't feel like church is a safe place to be or they they feel like they've been told that they will be excluded um, but I I think for those of us who continue to be a part of the church and part of that community, we need to constantly be wary of any activities we're doing that would um, be viewed as exclusive, that would suggest to somebody, you're not welcome here. Uh, that's a giant red flag because Jesus was ultimately inclusive at all times. Um, so just just a warning to each and every one of us who are in church leadership and stuff like is is what I'm doing inclusive or are these actions going to leave somebody feeling excluded? Like they cannot step foot in this place. Okay. I have another, I have another recommendation for you for the, uh, for your gospel presentation. And it's a little song and it goes like this. Um, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And I was thinking, that that little song actually has a lot um, going for it um, because it really gets out the primacy of love. Jesus loves me, this I know. And that's hard for people to, people have a lot of shame and guilt. And it really, it's, it's difficult for them to believe that God really loves them or that, but somehow if, if that, that the love, that the love of, of Jesus, and it says little ones to him belong. And, and we were all little, you know, we were all, we were all little and that kind of gets it that we kind of all belong to him and our, and that, and that he is weak and that they are weak, but he is strong. And I think we all experience that, that we get to the end of our rope and we realize we can't do this. We can't save ourselves. So our hope isn't in our strength. It's in his strength. Um, and so, um, I just think I was just thinking that's a pretty that that little song has a lot in it. Uh, there's I've got mixed mixed feelings about the song, and I'll tell you. Okay, what. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that I, as soon as you quoted it, David. I was like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, let, let me start with the positive. You know, um, uh, they are weak, but he is strong. Right. This is this is gospel. Um, we are weak, but he is strong. Now. In the West, our culture is you have to be strong, right? And and people will muscle up and try and be strong. And I, you know, in, in whatever sphere of life, they will try and be the rescuer of their own lives. Um, and and will do that to their own peril, uh, you know, and to their own torment and and potentially to their own physical demise, um, trying to be strong. The gospel is I am weak, but he is strong because everyone, everyone, everyone can be weak. Not everyone can be strong, right? Some people are capable and got more nous and more whatever and more grit mm-hmm. and more whatever to, to make something, get, get something over the line or whatever, but not everyone can. Not everyone can be strong, but everyone actually can be weak. It's an awakening moment of, I can't do this, but I, I am weak. And he is strong. So I, I see the kingdom in that for sure. The problem with the song for me, and, and this is from my own kind of conservative evangelical upbringing, and I sang the song as a kid, um, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Uh, was Let me translate, translate that for a 10-year-old boy. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, because I read it in a book. And for any 10-year-old kid, um, really, there's got to be something more to the picture than I read it in the book, in a book or in the book, regardless, as a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm actually really determined that we are people who do what evangelism is meant to do, which is introduce people to Jesus, not introduce people to theology or not introduce people to an ideology, but introduce people to Jesus. Interestingly, um, perhaps the most famous evangelist in the modern era, um, a guy called Billy Graham, you may have heard of him, Um, one of his close friends, uh, you know, when, when Billy was about to pass, um, one of his close friends in, in, in quiet dialogue with him, and this has been shared, you know, in a global evangelist alliance context, so I don't have any concern sharing, but apparently he'd said uh, to his close friend, you know, I, uh, in, in a sense of realisation, gee, I've introduced people to a prayer, uh, and, and he's con- there was concern around, oh, you know, and, and of course that prayer led to experiences of Jesus, but but the purpose of evangelism is the introduction of people to Jesus, not to a prayer or not to, uh, you know, something that you might just read, and uh, but rather the person of Jesus. And so Jesus loves me, this I know, because he's kissed me and hugged me and awakened my heart to me and, and to him and to, to abundant life in him and the intimacy with the Father in him. And that's a better song for me. <laughs> you know, it doesn't and, rhyme. It doesn't quite <laughs> rhyme. But, but the end goal is awakening hearts to the intimate relationship with Jesus. Uh, and yes, of course, the scriptures confirm that. And of course, all of scriptures are pointing as a testimony to the living word, but it's the living word we've got to get to. Uh, and 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 that's how we know that God loves us, how Jesus loves us, because we've met the living Word. How's yeah. that? Amen. Yeah. Well, the um, yeah the 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 love of Jesus. Uh, the, the irony that I've thought about is that that you can in in a lot of settings, it's just fine to say that you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, as long as you don't believe that He will actually save the world. Because if you believe that actually Jesus actually will save the world, then you'll be told, well, I'm sorry. I mean, you can call him the savior of the world, but you can't believe that he would save the whole world because he's, that's, not what he's, uh, that's not what he's about. Despite all the scriptures that say so, such as Colossians 1, but that's fine. Yeah, I, no, we, this is an issue for our denomination. We sing songs that our founder wrote that are things like... Um, the whole world redeeming, so rich and so free, like, and Christ is all, yes, all in all. And these are lyrics out of the songs that the Salvation Army sing, right? But our our, our praxis in that has just been so reduced in many contexts, and I don't mean to bash our movement because I know that there's just different pockets as well of renewal in that. But, but um, you know, it's a really valid point that you make, David. What were you going to say, Tim? Oh, I I don't even remember because Craig's brilliance has once again overwhelmed me. Um, Welcome to my life. Um, (laughs) I do want to revisit something that Craig said, uh, if we've got a few minutes just to talk about this, because this is a topic of conversation uh, right now at Impact Nations, which is about 
a prayer response. You know, Craig talked about Billy Graham and, and um, you know, that concern that, oh, have really all we've been doing is leading people to a, a prayer and that's that's it, rather than full revelation of Jesus and and full life in Christ, participating in the beauty and wonder and splendor and majesty of the triune God. Um, and so I want to say flat out, I don't think anybody needs to pray a prayer in order to uh, get into heaven. Uh, I don't think that to be the case at all. And I don't think that there's any um, scriptural, scriptural basis to think that. I think that we have, you know, many people think they believe that, but if you actually start to discuss it with them, they go, oh, well, maybe I don't believe that. Um, but what I don't want to say is that there's no value to that prayer. And so Craig and I lead teams all over the world where we go into communities and we preach this beautiful good news of the kingdom. And then we lead people into a prayer uh, to respond because we've got, we definitely have, uh, we've got scriptural precedence for that. We've got, you know, the apostles preaching the gospel and people responding saying, what must we do to be saved? And the response is repent and believe. Um, we don't have the script of, you know, well, what did they say after that, right? We It jumps in, in Acts 2. Suddenly you've got this, you know, and 3,000 were added to their number. And then it gives it jumps right into life in the church of everybody's having everything in common. And, and isn't this wonderful? And it is wonderful. Uh, well, what happened in between? Well, we don't know. And I wish we had the script. It would have saved Craig and I a lot of hours in meetings. Because uh, we have literally had meetings together, the leadership of Impact Nations, asking, what is this prayer? What what does it need to consist of and things like that? And all we really know is that it needs to include repentance and belief, a declaration of those two things, right? And so um, we need to invite people to a place. And by the way, again, this doesn't have to happen in the context of that prayer. I absolutely do not believe that. But at the same time, we want people's like that's for us in many, for many people, that's going to be the starting gun of this beginning, this revelation, this revelatory experience, right? This journey of, of gaining revelation of, of Christ, of God as revealed in, in Jesus. And so, uh, we know that if we're going to invite people to respond, then it should have a moment of repentance, which we, again, in evangelical terms, often equate repentance to, I'm sorry for kicking the dog yesterday, when in fact, repentance is metanoia. It is turning in the other direction. It is changing the way you think. And so really it's saying, I, I don't, I, do, I want to change the way I think about this world and recognize that actually I want to change the way I think about me. I want to recognize that I was created in the image of God and that the kingdom of God is all around me. The kingdom of God is within me and at work in myself and in my community. So that's repentance right there. I recognize that, oh, your ways are higher than my ways and your ways are have, have always been available to me and are available to me in this very moment. And then believe is simply saying, yes, I do believe that this is this is true. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that God is God. The father is indeed the one revealed uh, through Jesus uh, and that his love is ultimately revealed in the self-emptying work of the cross, uh, as as Paul would have said it in, in Philippians 2. And so we keep retooling those prayers and they're different every time and that's okay. But I, I just mm -hmm. want to say, um, we don't believe that the prayer is an absolute must to get into heaven. Um, but at the same time, we sure love leading people into that moment of encountering Christ for the first time.
Yeah. There are two things that came to mind uh, when you talked about that. There are some, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my, my denomination, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, is part of a a movement on the on the American frontier. Some call it the Stone Campbell movement, and there are different there are different church groups that that look back to that. And one of the church groups in America that looks back to that is uh, Churches of Christ. And what they took from Acts two thirty eight was repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, and that it needed to be by immersion in order for that to be you know for that to be effective. So that was you know what what must we do is a is a is a big question that um that people have and then the other thing that i was thinking about is that as i as i have gone further on this journey the thing that keeps one thing that keeps coming to me is the idea that god is love and that god is light in whom there is no darkness at all so there is nothing that is there is nothing that is that is dark there's no darkness in god there's never been any darkness in god so the, the thought that God had, the plans that God had for creation going into creation were full of light, and there was no darkness in those plans. And then I think I can infer from that that, that Jesus, you know, Jesus in the transfiguration, you know, light, that there's he's the light of the world, and that somehow that light ultimately will not fail to dispel all of the darkness. And that what's happening is that when we come to Christ, when we receive him, he begins to he begins to move that darkness you know out of us and that's a that can be that's a that's a long process but the more that darkness moves out the more that light becomes the more we become like Christ we become transferred transformed in his image and when i used to teach a pastor's class i would tell the children you know you're not getting baptized to make god love you i think what you're getting in the, in baptism baptism what you're doing is you're confirming that you are you are aware of this and you're placing your trust in Christ and you want to trust him throughout the whole of your life so, so it's your it's your formal way of getting to respond to this and to make and to and to say yes I am trusting and I want to trust for my whole life and baptism then is a way it's a moment that you can enter into to celebrate that and to affirm that so yeah I just left up some of things lines are culturally we kind of almost replace baptism with the prayer um with the prayer you know uh and i i think you're right in one sense they're interchangeable it is a declaration of your faith in christ and your declaration of your belief in his faithfulness more than anything yeah the faithfulness of christ that's a whole other podcast episode uh, Indeed. once you start thinking about that one um well, I think we've I think we're having a good conversation. I, I, I sense that things are kind of winding up. I want to uh, for those of who, who come to this podcast who are curious about uh, the possibility of a universal restoration as part of their Christian faith or they're they're wondering about this and maybe they feel like, well, gee, I don't know if there's any uh, evangelism group I would feel comfortable being connected with because I'm afraid they're going out and they're not preaching a beautiful gospel like what you are. Well, so if they want to know more about how they could get connected with you and the work that you're doing, how would they do that? Yeah, uh, a couple of great places to do that would be uh, impactnations.com. They can uh, check out 
all of the things that we do there. Uh, you can learn about Journeys of Compassion, where we're taking people uh, in teams to go do frontlines ministry. But then also, you know, we've got we're partnering with leaders in the developing world who are demonstrating this beautiful gospel each and every day, and they're in the trenches, uh, ministering to the brokenhearted, to those who are suffering from you know terrible conditions uh they're right in there in the mix declaring the love of jesus and demonstrating the love of jesus and seeing the kingdom come and bring transformation to entire communities so you can learn all sorts of stuff about that uh at impactnations.com um if you want to see kind of real specific examples you can go to impactnations.com catalog uh where we've got opportunities to get involved and give so that you can help participate in this wonderful rescue mission that we're engaged in all over the world um but certainly uh, learning about journeys of compassion as well is a great way if you really want to get out there and do the stuff as we like to say uh good chance if you uh if you come on a journey of compassion uh you got a pretty good chance of being on one with craig or myself we're on one of the two of us is usually on most of them so um you can come hang out with us and you'll do the stuff it's it, you know one of the things that i love about craig is uh, he'll very quickly uh start targeting people in the group say okay now tomorrow you're going to go preach the gospel so let's let's kind of talk through a couple of things uh and he'll coach them through that and uh kind of debrief with them afterwards and stuff like that it's pretty cool so definitely check that out that's okay craig what, what can you add to that yeah that's that's the superpower of impact nations is that everyone does the ministry so you know in 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 very familiar uh um uh, missions movements uh, there'll be you know the leader who does all the preaching and then there'll be a team who sort of you know comes around and helps do all the working sort of stuff but but impact nations everyone preaches the gospel every day and people respond to the gospel every day and um, everyone heals the sick every day and so if they those are notions that you want to give your life to or you want to explore for an opportunity at a, at a missions trip then jump onto impactnations.com um, I, I want to say also that we have a formal relationship with uh, uh, St. Stephen's University in Brad Jerzak. Um, they're, they're a formal partner with Impact Nations. And David, I suspect your listening audience is very familiar with Brad Jerzak, but also with Brian Zond and probably Paul Young, William Paul Young, and, and others right. who are voices into this space who are, who are very much, Tim, your friends, our friends at Impact Nations and who are informing us in the way in which we deliver missions as well. So your listening audience would probably take a real sense of, uh, you know, of, of, of comfort around the idea that there's that formal relationship with Brad and, and St. Stephen's. Um, yeah. yeah, and I'd just like to say about St. Stephen's, like I've got a very dear friend, uh, my wife and I, are our, our best, closest friends here in Albuquerque, she... Uh, my best buddy's wife, she started taking courses at SSU, St. Stephen's University, and came alive because, and David, you'll, you'll, I'm sure you're hearing this from your audience all the time. She like, oh, I'd always known this to be true. I'd always hoped this beautiful gospel was true, but I'd never felt this. I'd never discovered a space where it was okay to explore it. St. Stephen's University is a beautiful place to explore that and go deep. So if you're into, you know, uh, academia, whether you want to get a master's degree or you want to just audit some courses, that's an amazing place to do it. And we wholeheartedly endorse all that they do there. Okay. Another, another thing I want to ask you about is I get emails from missionaries around the world and the emails usually go something like this. I'm, I'm rethinking the gospel. I'm rethinking things, and I'm listening to your podcast, and I'm uh, 
and um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know where I'm where I'm headed next or what I'm going to do. I know there's been some uh, missionaries who have in, been trying to express a more beautiful gospel and have been relieved from their missionary positions because of it. And um, so what if there's somebody that's maybe in a mission setting already in the world and they're wanting to explore uh, a more beautiful gospel? Is there a way that they could get in touch with you? And I don't know, you might be able to help give them some direction. Yeah, certainly. Uh, folks can uh, uh, reach out to us. You know what? You can just write me directly at tim at impactnations.com. I'd be happy to chat with you. Having said that, I just I want to make sure that I'm being clear on Impact Nation's mandate. Our, um, this is in no way to uh, denigrate uh, you know, Western missionaries who have been called clearly by God to go into the nations to, to bring the good news. Um, but our particular burden, our, the calling that Impact Nations has on us is to partner with leaders in the developing world. And so we do not have missionaries. We have journeys of compassion where we'll go for a, a couple weeks at a time to activate the faith of those uh, from European, North American, Australia, Australian nations. Uh, but we, generally speaking, our role is to champion local leaders who are from these nations, who most of whom have actually come from the very type of, of poverty or circumstances that they're now looking to address uh, and champion them. And so I would, you know, I would just say transparently, like, we're not in the business of supporting uh, missionaries on an ongoing basis. Um, however, we are absolutely cheering you on, and uh, there may be opportunities for us to to come and, and be in your midst at some point. Uh, we travel lots around the world, um, but our the the Impact Nations mission that God has given us is to partner with local leaders and and lift them up and build capacity and help them accomplish the mission that God's given them. So that might be somebody that's maybe back home from the mission field and that, you know, they, they're rethinking things and, but they yeah. still might like, they might like to go on something like you're, they, like you're I think doing. That they would love to be on a journey of compassion to go and, and rediscover that, oh, actually this message, uh, of, ultimate reconciliation, this message that indeed Jesus did save the whole world, is saving the whole world, and will save the whole world, as, as Brad would say, that there's three tenses of salvation, right? Um, but there's an opportunity to actually participate with others in this, this rescue mission, because ultimately, right, this is what we believe. We believe that um, God made the world to work a certain way, and at some point it broke and the world does no longer work the way that he designed it to, to work. And then Christ came and began a work, a rescue mission. He began uh, a mission to reconcile all things, to restore all things to the way they were originally created, designed to work. And he's enlisted us as Christ followers to participate in this work of reconciliation, in this work of restoration. And we at Impact Nations have this incredible privilege to participate in that on an ongoing basis and provide people the opportunity to participate in the restoration and reconciliation of the world. Yeah, I was when I was going through... I guess my rethinking of all these things, there's uh, Isaiah 46.10, I think, is that, that God knows the end from the beginning. Mm. And I just be, I began to feel like, okay, 
I'm I'm not co-laboring with God so that I can help God accomplish something that God is really trying to work out right, that God made a creation, then it went awry and it went crazy. And so God is just doing the best that God can to try to salvage as much as possible out of how terribly wrong this whole thing has gone. So I'm going to partner with God and maybe we can maybe we can reclaim some of the tragic things that have happened in this creation that God made. And I be, I began to think, no, that God had a glorious uh, end in mind from the very beginning. And so yeah. I don't have to anxiously partner with God to help God as if God is not going to be able to pull off the very creation that God intended from the beginning. But it's more of an aha moment that I can wake up and I can partner with God now in the redemption that God, I believe, will ultimately uh, be pulling off with with everyone. And when you're doing it in that sense, it's it just it it feels like I'm in on on something that's unfolding and that is in, that that will finally be incredibly beautiful. And I don't have to worry that it's ultimately not going to happen. But I get to I get to the privilege of getting to be a part of it in some way in the here and now. You're building my faith, David. Well said, well said. And, and, you know, part of it is, is if, um, you know, the prophet Isaiah, you know, and, and he prophesies, you know, for unto us a son is born, a child is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace. Read Kingdom of the increase of the expanse of his reign, of his kingdom reign, there shall be no end. And it's been prophesied 700 years before Christ came on the earth that his kingdom would continue to expand and to increase. And, uh, you know, the kingdom of light, as you started to point us to, David, is becoming more and more brighter. And it is our confession of the saints that we are shining more and more brightly, moving from glory to glory to glory. And this is the season, I think, of, uh, of unveiling, of awakening that is happening around the world. And these missionaries that are reaching out to you, David, and they're reconfiguring, they're reconstructing, and we're, we're coming into a more beautiful gospel understanding and a more beautiful understanding of Christ, a more Christ-like God is being formed within the saints, mm-hmm. and it, it's happening all over the world, and it is a very glorious time. Well, now you're building my faith, you guys are, <laughs> and uh, this has been a wonderful uh, time to visit and I think that the listeners of this podcast would be interested in in, in um, uh, checking out your website, impactnations.com. And also, you guys have a podcast. Just say a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, sure. Uh, you can learn more about that at impactnations.com slash podcasts. Uh, but uh, we... Uh, it's a little different each time. My dad, uh, usually most seasons, he's teaching through a book of the Bible, and we go deep. Uh, we go. I always tease him. He geeks out on the Church Fathers. Uh, a couple years ago, we did what, like fifty-four weeks on the Book of Matthew. Uh, so, like, we go deep. We we really go for it. Um, 
And uh, usually the format is he'll teach for 40 minutes or so, and then he and I will sit down and, and I'll fire questions his way and get into it. And then usually every three or four episodes, we pause uh, and have a chat with another theologian or author or what have you. Uh, this season, I'm actually just interviewing authors. Um, in fact, I just uh, this week, we're about to have a conversation uh, with uh, Alvin, oh, yeah, Hill, Alvin uh, Father Adrian. Yeah, good for you. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's written this brilliant book, Destined for Joy: The Gospel of Universal Salvation. Uh, David, I know you've you've read that, uh, so yeah. it was a really cool conversation. Uh, the week after that, actually, I'm going to have Bradley in studio. Uh, he's going to be discussing oh. uh, "Her Gates Will Never Be Shut," which, is, by the way, I just want to say, if you're struggling with um, biblical texts about um, about hell, about uh, eternal torment, all those things. This is a really, really helpful resource. And it's a very honest resource. Like he he looks at every single text, says, okay, well, let's be honest. Like it says this, so let's talk about it. So this yeah, is really I, I, have, I, I recommend yeah. that book at the end of my yeah. book. Is, uh, my book there is kind go. of a, uh, my book is designed to be sort of a basic, simple kind of introduction to this conversation to point people on. And if you want, you know, more in-depth resources and, and Brad is one of the ones that I, I've had Brad on the podcast several times and Brian Zond yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, and these times, are frequent so. guests of ours. I had Brian on a few weeks ago too. So yeah, if, if yeah. you if you enjoy uh, David's podcast, then I think you'll enjoy Impact Nations as well. And yeah. each week we try to sprinkle in a few stories of what God's doing around the world. Because by the way, God's just doing incredible things. I just got this amazing story from Uganda. Uh, just starts with 36 teenage moms under a tree and goes from there. And it's incredible. Uh, so I'll probably be sharing that on the podcast uh, this week. So if you like good right. stories of, of redemption and reconciliation and, and just kingdom work, uh, then that's a pretty good place to hang out. <laughs> All right. Well, Tim and Craig, thank you so much for the time that you've been spending with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.